Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Few people ever experienced the momentum that later Texas football star Greg Kelly had going for him in his senior year of high school. That all changed the summer of 2013 when Kelly was shockingly convicted of sexually assaulting a four-year-old boy and sentenced to 25 years in prison with no possibility of parole. The documentary that's debuting on Showtime is called Outcry. It's a five-part investigative series into this remarkable case, and not just for the sort of salacious nature of the accusations, but for the twists and turns that this case takes. Again, the film will be, the film series will be premiering on Sunday, July 5th at 10 p.m. on Showtime, and we're joined by Emmy Award-winning director and producer, and that would be Pat Condellas. Pat, welcome to Film School Radio. Mike, how you doing? I have this sort of vague recollection in the back of my mind that I've heard of this before, before, well, especially when I'm starting to watch it, I'm thinking, I seem to recall this a long time ago in a place far, far away. But um, tell me a little bit about how you got to find out about what happened to Greg Kelly and what spurred you to step forward and do a documentary. So I didn't, honestly, Mike, I didn't know much about the case at all. And I didn't follow it when it happened. Um, Greg Kelly was uh, initially arrested in 2013 and his trial was in 2014. And all of this happened in, in Leander Cedar Park, um, Texas, which is a suburb just north of Austin, Texas. And it got a lot of local coverage on the news because Greg Kelly was a, was a standout star high school football player um, who was a college committed, got multiple offers to play college football. Um, but at that time, I wasn't even, I was working on a, another documentary project at the time and was, was not really uh, in town when all of that happened. So I missed all of the original reporting on the case. I didn't really follow it. It wasn't until 2017 when we premiered a documentary at South by Southwest that a friend of a friend came up and said, hey, do you know anything about the story? Like you should look into this, this is crazy. And then conversations just started from there. Uh, but it took me a while to actually want to tell the story because it's a very, very emotional story. It's a very emotional crime. And I wasn't sure that I even wanted to dig into something like this. Um, even after meeting Greg Kelly's family, some of his friends and supporters, uh, there were some questions that were, uh, you know, I, I couldn't get an answer on some legal questions. And I think I, I really, really wanted to do the story after I talked to his lawyer, Keith Hampton. And when Keith could give me some, some legal answers to this, um, that's when the story just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It kind of started to haunt me. And at that point it was like, okay, let's, let's dig in and see where this goes. Having no idea what was going to happen. Well, to that point, do you feel like not knowing very much helped it, or how did it, how did it impact you in moving forward in making the documentary, not knowing anything or very much uh, until you started the process? I absolutely think that helped. Not, not following it as it was originally reported because we weren't really tainted with anybody else's opinion going into it. It helped a lot. And I mean, it was a, uh, the crime was, was 
a very, very, again, emotional, very, very difficult thing to talk about and discuss, but this happened in a location. Uh, it happened in Williamson County. I live in Williamson County. I'm a resident. I'm quite familiar with uh, their, their history of uh, wrongful convictions and very bad things happening in the criminal justice system in Williamson County uh, over the last few decades, actually. And I think that was part of it that I think even when this happened, there was a group of people that came out in support of Greg Kelly after he was accused of molesting a four-year-old boy. And that is incredibly unique. You never really hear of a, an accused child molester getting support by anybody. Normally that person is pushed away and nobody wants to be associated with them or vouch for them at all. And in this case, you kind of had the opposite thing. And I think part of that was because of the history of, of Williamson County and, and some, some bad things that have happened in their criminal justice system, people I think were more willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that coupled with the fact that he was a star football player and was very well liked and very well known, people stood up from the very get-go and said, you have the wrong guy here. So I, I think not following the original reporting on that and not knowing the original details, I think definitely helped us kind of go in with an open mind and say, let's try to figure this out and look at every single perspective here. Right. And in the film, you spend some time sort of setting the, the context for, for the story. And um, I don't know if I'm overstating this, I'm, I may not be, but in this part of Texas, I think throughout Texas, high school football is almost a religious experience for people. So it, it, so to have a star player involved, and it, there's, I mean, I think there's a natural predisposition to want to believe a young man who has an otherwise unblemished record, certainly mm -hmm. not been in trouble, and you couple that with the fact that he was a rising football star, it is understandable why people would, would want to believe that he, there was nothing here that he was responsible for. But as in all great documentary, and particularly documentary series, the, the th you start pulling on threads in this film. And um, what is sort of, what was the first thread you wanted to pull on? Was that, or was there something as you got more uh, familiar with the case, did you start to feel like, here's where I need to go first? And then sort of acquiring this level of trust, you, you seemed to be able to interview everyone who was substantially connected to this case. So walk us through that sort of as a filmmaker process. You know, the, first, the first big question that I had was, what, what is the origin of this? How, did this? how did this happen? What was the first, how did the accusation come to be? And I wanted to know the details of that. And that's actually why we decided to, to name the project Outcry because that is the origin of the entire case of everything, everything goes, spawns basically from this four-year-old child making this claim, that this, this statement that this happened. And you have the recording of the call to the police officer, which- We did, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we, we went through to try to find everything and then start from there, that's the starting point and then see where that goes. So I was fascinated with that because it, the things that I was being told was, you know, he's Greg Kelly's such a great guy. He's a straight A student. He's got, you know, he's going to play uh, college football. He's got everything to lose, you know, in this situation. And there's just no way. I'm like, well, then why did this accusation happen? Where did this come from? Right. That became a, a like the first problem or the first thread uh, to pull on. 
And then to your question about access, you know, on Greg's side, when we first got involved, uh, he had already been in prison for three years at that point, roughly three years. And his family, his, his friends, his supporters were desperate to have any sort of attention paid to the case. Um, and so they were very, very welcoming, come in. And his lawyer, Keith Hampton, was, was a little bit different because there was some pending you know, uh, legal matters going on. And he was very concerned that, you know, something could screw this up. So once he realized that we were, we were in this for the long haul, this wasn't going to come out until this whole case was resolved. He was an open book. And the Williamson County DA's office was actually, they were on board right away. They were not the same regime that prosecuted Greg Kelly the first time. And this case had gotten so much attention. They wanted transparency. They wanted as much information out as possible. So we were very, very lucky in that regard that, that we got the access that we did. Yeah, and all the things you're describing and are very important to and very germane to, to uh, how we, the story has to unfold in order to really give a full account of it. And one of the things that uh, marks your work, not just this, but in the past, is you're sort of meticulous about going over really just really laying it out and again that access to these different uh, parties involved is certainly key to that but um, there must have been a fair amount of archival footage because I feel like we were there at the beginning from watching the film watching this uh, outcry this this five-part series that you were really there even though it you weren't and obviously right. so so you had you really pulled together a lot of resources and it's it's uh, it's it's entertaining, and I, I, it may not be the right word to use for a documentary about sexual assault on a four-year-old, but the, the way that you're able to lay out the story is, I just really enjoyed watching it. And I, I don't even if I have a question. I just want to sort of acknowledge that as a part of the story. Well, I appreciate it, and then, you know, it's one of the things that's unique about the story is the story is stranger than fiction. If I if we just sat here and I described to you all the things that happened in the case and all the revelations, I don't think you would believe me. So you have to see it to believe it and put everything together. And it's a, it's a, um, it's a very, very shocking case. That's, that's the word that I use most often because I was shocked continuously as we were working on this. One of the things that I think Mike is really unique about this case and that, that I appreciated doing is that I don't normally get the chance to tell the story in real time. Normally everything has already happened and you're going back in time to re-examine what had happened. In this case, we were experiencing that roller coaster of not knowing what the resolution was going to be, not knowing what new evidence was out there that we still didn't see, right? All of that happened in real time. So for us, it was an up and down roller coaster. And what we did in the five parts of this is that the audience is going to experience this the same way that we did making it. Yeah. Because here's a little bit of the backstory that happened with his original conviction. And then it's re-examining this evidence literally as the evidence is being discovered. And some of that we discover through the process of, of making this. And it's one of these things where everybody on both sides of this that are even very close to the story think they know the story and they think they know what happened and they absolutely do not. Yes. <laughs> and you can say that almost from the very beginning of the film. You can say, you think you know where this is going to end up, and, and that doesn't end up being the case. I just want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Pat Condellis, and he is the director and producer of a 
five-part series that will be uh, on Showtime beginning on July 5th. It's called Outcry, and uh, it is a remarkable story, remarkable in many, many ways. And I'm so glad we're not talking too much in detail about what actually is happening. We, we've done a decent job of setting up the, 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 the premise of the, of the story here. But I do want to dive a little bit into the inglorious history of Texas and justice. And we can only, all we need to do is go back to one of the landmark documentary films of all time, The Thin Blue Line, to kind of get the flavor for what can happen. I don't say that it only happens in Texas. I don't mean to imply that. But it certainly has, has a certain sauce, a certain je ne sais quoi when it comes to Texas and justice. And the DA. Detective Chris Daly and the DA, or whatever version of that you want to describe, I would be happy with. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, you're right. Texas does not have necessarily the best track record uh, uh, in the criminal justice system, and there's been some very well-documented cases of corruption and the wrongdoing when it comes to that. Uh, this case was, you, you had Williamson County, it's interesting in its proximity to Austin, it's just north Part of the city of Austin is actually inside Williamson County. Uh, and it is a, a diametrically opposed politically place than Austin, Texas is. Williamson County is very conservative. And they, they let you know that if you do something in their county, they will throw the book at you. Uh, um, that has been their history. And that has come back to bite them multiple times with wrongful convictions and uh, some corruption that happened with, with prior uh, district attorneys. And uh, Cedar Park is a city within Williamson County that actually investigated the, the allegation. And the lead detective is a guy named uh, Christopher Daly, uh, who uh, did not do much investigating in this case, to, to be generous on my part. He did not do much. Right. And, and you learn that kind of uh, early on, and that gets dissected by both the current uh, District Attorney of Williamson County, Sean Dick, and by Greg Kelly's attorney, Keith Hampton. And I think Greg, I think, is very lucky in the fact that the new district attorney in Williamson County was a former defense attorney. So Sean Dick has an ability to look at the case from both sides and, and, and look at evidence from also a, a defense attorney's perspective and say, okay, there's something, there's something with this that, that just doesn't pass the smell test here. So all of there's there's just so much that happens in this case that is right. so unbelievable. Right. And, and I, I I wanted thank you for describing that. I um and I, I really wanted to to kind of settle on that part of the story because it frames the story in so many different ways, and the contrast could not be more radical from the former district attorney and her team, and Sean Dick's team. And I've never seen this before, where in a writ that is filed by uh, Greg's uh, attorney, uh, Keith Hampton, you see the district attorney with three attorneys there yeah. really arguing against, against things, the conviction, right? I, I've never seen that before. I know I just have a minute with you. So I, I just, it, there's so many things in this documentary that are just unusual, but do you want a quick comment on that part of it or? Yeah, everything that happened in this case is unique. Everything from every perspective. Um, uh, from the original allegation to the way that the media handled that, that original trial, 
um, the investigation in this, the way that the appellate process in this has worked out, everything has been completely unique. The Texas Rangers coming in, uh, a DA to open up a case three years later and call in the Texas Rangers right. to investigate it, that is incredibly rare. Uh, and, and brings into a whole nother uh, um, set of issues and circumstances with this that are just completely unbelievable. No, it's it's a roller coaster, and it's 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 completely everything that you think. I, I think it's an educational, and I don't want to say that from like a homework standpoint, but I think from an audience member looking at like something that happened, like a thin blue line, right? If you look at what happened in in this case, it's everything was handled differently than you would expect something to be handled from across the board. Right. So it, it just makes it a very, very unique set of circumstances. But from a filmmaker's perspective, this must have felt like Christmas morning for you because... It did not. It no? Did not. <laughs> okay. So it felt completely terrifying because we didn't know what we had signed up for. We didn't know where it was going to go. We had absolutely no control over the story. And we were literally just hanging on for dear life along for the ride. And we had to make sure that one, we didn't become part of the story. And two, that, you know, we're always looking out for what, what is it that we don't know? What's that piece of evidence that's going to come next around the corner that's going to change everything? Right. So we had no idea what was going to happen. We had no idea this was going to take three years. We had no idea this was going to be a five-parter. You know, it was, all of this was surprising. And it was, you know, we're, we're lucky that Showtime signed on for this and that they gave us such support uh, in the story because it was, a, it was a wild one. Wow, well, I want to just let our listeners know one more time that we're, we've been speaking with Pat Candelis, and he is uh, the director and producer of the Showtime five-part documentary series called Outcry. I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Come back anytime you've got some. I, I, I'm looking at your work. I mean, radical story of uh, uh, Patricia Hirsch, Patty Hearst, pardon me, I was called Patricia, uh, and all these other ones, all the other films you've been a part of, it's, it's wonderful, and uh, thank you, and congratulations, Pat. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.